Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Brothers and sisters, please turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1. I'm going to be looking at the first four verses tonight, Deuteronomy chapter 1. And if you would, please rise as we do honor the public reading of the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain opposite Suf, between Paran, Topol, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now it came to pass in the fortieth year, in the eleventh month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded him as commandments to them. After he had killed Sihon the king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and Og the king of Bashan, who dwelt at Ashtaroth in Edri. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go before the Lord once again in prayer. Father, as we begin to look at the great book of Deuteronomy, the, the last words of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, Lord, words that in this book are often very mysterious to Christians. Lord, how we do pray that you would open up our eyes to see the magnificence of these words, to see how great and relevant they are for our lives, and that we ourselves must learn them, that we would take them to heart, O Lord. Help us, O Lord, to understand these things well, that we would know what it would mean to be in covenant with you, that you would be our God, that we would be your people, and that you would dwell in our midst. Father, we ask all these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you'll know if you've been been with us over the last several weeks that we have been going through the the first part of Book 5 of the Psalms. And we just finished that up last week, looking at Psalm 118. And I thought it would be good for us now to uh, go to the book of Deuteronomy. And you may be wondering why that would be the case. Uh, Very often, Christians think of probably two books in particular as exceptionally difficult, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the books that are uh, the most mysterious to Christians. Christians look at them, they don't understand what's going on, they usually don't understand why it's important, um, and it becomes very uh, difficult to get through those books and say a reading plan. Um, it's uh, They're just notoriously difficult for a lot of Christians. And also, though, not only are they difficult for Christians, but also, and one of the reasons why I decided to go to Deuteronomy now, is that Deuteronomy, and more broadly speaking, the entire Pentateuch, all the the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they have been uh, the the target of uh, the majority of the attacks from higher biblical criticism, historic biblical criticism that really began in the 19th century. Uh, There has been a great attempt to undermine the authority of these first five books that really is quite different from even the rest of 
uh, of uh, the Old Testament itself. You know, it, uh, in a lot of ways, um, an Old Testament unbelieving scholar will be willing to admit that some books were written quite a long time ago, maybe in the days of David or whatever else. But these books, he will never admit it. He will never admit that the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy were actually written by Moses himself. This has been a long and sustained attack that has come even since uh, the 19th century. And even very often when Christians are exposed to these kinds of theories, uh, because they have usually not heard very many sermons on Deuteronomy or Leviticus, they don't, they don't know uh, about the, the contents of these books, these kinds of challenges uh, catch them by surprise. How, how do we understand the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus and uh, all the books of the Pentateuch? Uh, do these scholars who have spent their entire lives studying these, these books, do they have a point when they say uh, that Deuteronomy was not written by Moses, that it was actually written in the 7th century uh, BC, almost 800 years after uh, Moses lived, and that perhaps Moses wasn't even a real person? How do we as Christians respond to these kinds of things? Very often, the inroads of unbelief that come to people, particularly when they go off to college and they're exposed to these kinds of ideas, or if you're exposed to these kinds of ideas in other ways, the inroads of unbelief begin by undermining the foundation of the Pentateuch. That is very often the way it happens today. And so these books are incredibly important, even just for that reason, even just for our modern context, to be able to, to understand uh, the kinds of arguments that are being made against this book, and for us to be able to understand what the message of the book is itself. Now, the fact that there are very few sermons on these books is all the more tragic when we think about the fact that the rest of the Bible considers the books of Moses to be absolutely foundational for the message of the Bible. Absolutely foundational for the message of the Bible. Uh, very often the prophets will, will build on uh, the works of the Pentateuch. Uh, John Calvin said once that the prophets really do nothing except interpret Moses. Everything that they write is building upon the works of Moses. And so here we have uh, a really a, a, a threefold attack in a lot of ways that, that Satan has used against the church. We have uh, the, the fact that very many Christians struggle so much with these books that are so foundational. We have the fact that these, this has been the sustained attack by unbelieving scholarship and Christians that are not able to, to respond because they don't know the, the contents of these books. And we have as well that there are very few sermons that are actually preached on this. And all of this combines to uh, give a great challenge to Christianity and into the Christian church. And many people have been lost. You know, I, I believe even someone from our own church has been lost uh, to the, the biblical criticism, the higher biblical criticism. So this is... Uh, one of the great methods that Satan has used in the last 200 years to erode the faith of the church. You know, if you will just concede uh, these books that you know you don't even really care about anyway, you know, what's, what's the importance of Deuteronomy? It's not talking about Jesus anyway. It's not the New Testament. You know, just concede with me on this. And that is the beginning of the inroads of unbelief that, that typically come. And so we're going to take some time to look at the book of Deuteronomy, and hopefully you'll be able to see the great importance of this book particularly uh, as we look at it this, this, this evening. We're going to look at just a few introductory points. We're going to consider the author as Moses, the setting. We're going to consider uh, the book as a whole, what are the contents of the book, and then the importance for the rest of the Bible. And hopefully as we consider these kind of introductory questions, and particularly as it's said in the first four verses 
uh, of the book here. Hopefully you will see the great importance of the book of Deuteronomy, that it is an absolutely foundational and crucial book, that it is as as the is as the last book in the Pentateuch, it is the last words of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets when the people of God are on the edge of the promised land, about to go in and take the land which had been promised to them over 400 years prior. They're about to receive all these promises, and these are the last words of the greatest prophet that he chose to, to say to the people of God to instruct them on how they are to live when they get in the land. This is an incredibly important book. And so with that in mind, let's let's look at a few of these introductory questions. I do want to begin by addressing uh, the challenge that has come from historical criticism uh, regarding the authorship of the book of Deuteronomy. This is something that came uh, early in the 19th century. There was uh, a scholar who claimed that uh, the book of Deuteronomy was uh, written the 7th century B.C., and basically, the, the thinking behind this is that um, in the reign of Josiah, towards the end of the 7th century BC, uh, Hilkiah finds the book of the law in the temple. It had been lost. And this particular scholar said, well, Hilkiah didn't actually find that. And the, the, they said, this, this book of the law is Deuteronomy. He said he didn't find it. He actually wrote it then. And so there, the reason he found it was that he actually wrote it and it actually did not exist before this. And so Josiah actually uh, instituted a, a bunch of reforms in his in his day as a king. He got the, the people of God back on track, worshiping uh, the one true God without idols. And the claim of the the historical critics on this point is that this was really just uh, propaganda that the king used. He, he had this book written as propaganda to uh, bolster his reforms. And the claim is, is that many of these reforms that Josiah put in place were actually never done before uh, in the history of Israel. This is clearly contrary to the witness of uh, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, which speaks to uh, these things being done for some time. But that is uh, the challenge that has been issued, uh, that uh, in the 7th century, that when it says that the book of the law was found, that was actually the writing of the book of Deuteronomy itself. And so, that's the challenge. How do we as Christians respond to it? Can we affirm that the Bible teaches and that there's good evidence for the authorship of Moses for this particular book? One of the things as we begin to think about this is that if you were to take um, historical witness to be at any way credible, uh, if, if historical witness means anything for the authorship of a particular book, then Moses absolutely must be the author. Uh, for instance, Mosaic authorship has already been, been mentioned uh, three times in the first five verses of Deuteronomy chapter 1. These are the words of Moses. These are the words of Moses. These are the words of Moses. Said three times. And all throughout Deuteronomy, we see nothing else. We see uh, the book of Joshua immediately after uh, the book of Deuteronomy. As Joshua is about to go into the promised land, he references uh, the, the, the books, the words of Moses, clearly uh, implying that, that, uh, that Moses was himself the author. And we see the same thing all throughout the Old Testament. One of the, the clearest things, there's very many books in the Old Testament, we don't know who wrote them, but very clearly the Old Testament wants us to know that it believes, at least, the writers of the Old Testament books believe that Moses wrote the entire Pentateuch and more particularly the book of Deuteronomy. The same thing we see with the witness of the New Testament. Uh, at least twice in the Gospels, the Lord Jesus Christ affirms that Moses wrote not just the Pentateuch, but even Deuteronomy itself when he's challenged about marriage. There is a, a dispute about uh, a passage in Deuteronomy about when it is right for a man to divorce his wife. 
And uh, the assumption by every party, the Pharisees who are challenging him and Jesus himself, is that Moses, in fact, wrote those words. When Jesus is challenged about uh, marriage and the resurrection, and they're challenging him on the basis of uh, Leverite marriage laws that are found in the book of Deuteronomy, even here we see that these things are said to have been written by Moses himself. And so the testimony of the uh, book of Deuteronomy, the testimony of the Old Testament, the testimony of the New Testament, in very many places in all of these, I'm just going through a, a few of them just so you can have a, a sense of, of, of the, the overall witness. The testimony of the Bible from the beginning to the end is that Moses wrote these books. It is one of the clearest attestations of authorship for any books that we have in the Bible. There are many books we don't know who wrote them. The Bible seems to go out of its way to say that Moses wrote these books, and these are the, the, the only books, really, uh, some of the only books at least, that the, at least the main target uh, for the historical biblical criticism, these are the ones that they want to deny. Moses did not write them. If historical witness means anything, then Moses clearly wrote the Pentateuch. And we see this even beyond the witness of the, of the Bible. Jewish tradition is universal in, in affirming that Moses wrote Deuteronomy and the entire Pentateuch. And this is the uniform Christian witness, uh, you know, virtually unanimous Christian witness, all the way up until the 19th century. Uh, nobody thought anything else except Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy. And so again, if historical witness means anything, uh, then clearly Moses wrote all, wrote all of these books. Secondly, uh, not only is there the historical witness, but even the form of the book shows itself to have a 15th century BC context. Uh, that is to say, uh, the way the book is written fits uh, for a, a document that was written at the time of Moses. And so uh, one of the things that's been pointed out is that the book of Deuteronomy is structured like a covenant document, and not just any covenant document, uh, covenant documents change in form over time, but this one, the book of Deuteronomy, is structured just like uh, ancient covenant documents that were written uh, around the time of Moses. And there have been attempts to say that, you know, perhaps the covenant documents are kind of like the 7th century versions, uh, but that's been shown to be wrong. They are actually much closer to 15th century BC covenant documents than they are uh, with the 7th century ones. And so, uh, even even things outside the Bible, if we look at uh, the way Deuteronomy is like other kinds of literature, we can see that uh, the, the, the best explanation is that Moses was, in fact, the author just from that evidence alone. One of the other weaknesses, then, uh, of the historical biblical criticism is they recognize that all of the history that's written about Israel is all uh, put before the people of God through the lens of Deuteronomy. Everything that's written about the history of the people of Israel is written through the lens of Deuteronomy. And so, this has led many scholars to say that Moses did not write the, Pente that Moses did not write the Pentateuch or Deuteronomy, but the oral traditions must go back to at least uh, to Moses because there'd be no other way for uh, these things to have influenced the history. And the question would then be, well, if the oral traditions go back, why would they not have been written down on paper? What would be the evidence that they were not, in fact, uh, written down? Ultimately, it's pure speculation. There's no evidence, hard evidence, that uh, these uh, that Hilkiah finding the book of the law was written. There's there's no testimony that that was actually the case. It's really just pure speculation. And so, the first thing we can affirm then is that Moses is in fact the author. Moses is in fact the author, and the fact that Moses is the author is highly significant. I have said that Moses is the greatest 
of the Old Testament prophets. Moses is really in a class of his own when it comes to Old Testament prophecy. Moses in, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, and in, sorry, in Numbers chapter 12, when uh, Aaron and Miriam have a complaint against Moses, they say, you know, God's spoken through us too. Why do you exalt yourself above the people of God? That sort of thing. And uh, God comes down in the, at the tent of meeting and he says to Moses, to Aaron and Miriam, you know, why did you not fear to speak against my servant Moses? He is the one who is faithful in all, in all my house. If, if I want to speak to a prophet, then I will communicate to him in dreams or visions. But not so with my servant Moses. Him I speak with face to face. He is fundamentally different even than all other prophets because he is the one that God speaks with face to face. And then even at the very end of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, there is uh, a brief bit when it speaks of Moses' death that was written by uh, someone else after the fact. And it says, until this very time, until this day, there has never, there has never arisen in Israel a prophet who is like Moses. In fact, the way that you know that a prophet like Moses has come is when the Messiah comes, because that's the prophecy. When you see a prophet who is like Moses, then you will know the Messiah is here. It's one of the prophecies that we find in Deuteronomy itself. Moses is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, and these are his last words. Now, now, now think about that. If you, you know, in kind of a cliche way, but very true, you, you think of someone, the, the words they are going to speak to you before they die. Those are the most important words. If I had one thing to say to you uh, before I died, you know, what, would it, what would it be? Whatever, whatever would come out of my mouth at that point, that would be the most important thing. These are the last words right before the death of the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. And this is what we see in terms of the significance of the authorship, that this, that this is in fact Moses' words. And we see that even from the setting as we read in verses 1 through 4 as we just looked at. What verses 1 through 4 really do give the setting. Now notice in verses 1 and 2, we have the setting in terms of the location. And then in verses 3 and 4, we have the setting in terms of the time. So in terms of the location, these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness in the plain opposite Suf. So the main thing, main idea there is this side of the Jordan in the wilderness. Now if you remember, the Jordan River runs north to south, and it is the borderline for the promised land. When you cross over the Jordan from the east to the west, you are entering into the promised land. And here Moses is speaking these words on the very edge of the promised land. The people of God see the Jordan River. When they cross that river, they are in the promised land. And their greatest prophet is about to die. He's been told by God he cannot cross over that river and go into the land. And so he says, I don't get to cross over. You're going to get to cross over. I'm about to die. We're on the very edge of the promised land. And these are the words I want to leave you with. These are the words. If you remember anything else that I've told you, remember these particular words. And we see that even with uh, the, the setting in terms of time. Notice what it says in verse 3. In verse 3, we're given the date. In verse 4, we're given uh, the events that had just occurred. So in verse 3, the, the date now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month. The end of 40 years. Remember, that's the, the 40 years of the wandering in the wilderness. That God had said, because you will not go into the promised land, now you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And all of that older generation is going to die. But at the end of 40 years, the new generation, which you said was going uh, to be completely destroyed by the enemies of God's people in the promised land, 
that people that you said would be destroyed, they are going to get to go into the promised land. And now Moses, at the very end of these 40 years, decides to give uh, this particular uh, book in instruction to the people of God. This is the end. This is uh, the great culmination. The people of God are about to go into the land. And notice as well the things that had just happened. In verse 4, we say this is what he said after he had killed Sion, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. There were two kings on the eastern side of the Jordan. Remember, you go from, to get into the promised land, you go west over the Jordan from the east to the west. There were two kings on the eastern border of the Jordan that opposed God's people. And now nearing the end of the 40 years, God gave his people victory over those two kings and they possessed their land. It was really a foretaste of the taking of the promised land. So here they've already, in some sense, begun to experience the the victory. They have experienced the victory on just the other side. And they know now they're poised to go in and to have these victories continue under the leadership of Joshua. And these are the words which Moses said. You've begun to experience it. You can see the Jordan. You can see the other side of Canaan itself. And these are the words. When you go into the land, this is what you need to remember. This book is incredibly important. Hopefully, just by by me putting this setting before you, you can see the great importance of the book of Deuteronomy, the climactic nature of it, the greatest Old Testament prophet, the last words before he dies, the end of the wilderness wanderings, right before the people of God go into the promised land. And so clearly, just from this, you can see this is a book you must learn. This is a book you must learn. This is the book that governed all of uh, the people of God during all the time that they were in the promised land. If you want to understand anything about the Old Testament, you must understand the book of Deuteronomy itself. Now, if you were to, to ask then, you know, I, I know this is still a difficult thing. What is the book of Deuteronomy about? You know, it's a, a very mysterious thing. Uh, what, how can we understand uh, what's going on? If you were to boil down the book of Deuteronomy to one word or a sentence, how would you describe the book of Deuteronomy? Basically, the book of Deuteronomy is a book of the covenant. It's a book of the covenant. This is the reason uh, 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 why uh, when Hilkiah found it, there was a, he found the book of the law and they entered back into a covenant with the Lord. The book of Deuteronomy itself is the book of the covenant. And even this shows its importance in, a, in really a tremendous way. Remember what a covenant is. A covenant is a bond that establishes a relationship between two parties where there are stipulations, there are things that both parties must do, and there are blessings for obedience and there are curses for disobedience. It it establishes a kind of relationship between two parties. And remember, I've I've, uh, had opportunity to mention, um, I think a couple times in recent sermons, uh, that marriage itself is a covenant. It's the closest relationship that we have on earth, and it's the closest relationship we have on earth because it is a covenant relationship, a a relationship not based on blood, only on covenant, that is to reflect the relationship that we have with God through covenant. And so even that will show you that uh, Deuteronomy is an incredibly important book. If you want to know what it means to be in a covenantal relationship with God, the book of Deuteronomy, the entire book, is that answer. When Moses was on the edge of the promised land, this is what he wanted to say to the people. This is the way you can have a relationship with God. This is what it means that God would be your God, that he would be your people, and that he would dwell in your midst. 
And by the way, he's about to dwell in your midst when you cross over the Jordan. He's, he's going to dwell with you in the promised land. This is what it means to have this kind of relationship with God. The entire book of Deuteronomy is this establishment of the covenant. And we see this even from the structure. I'd mentioned to you that uh, the structure of the book of Deuteronomy is uh, very much like uh, a 15th century covenant document. And so those had a very particular uh, order and uh, format. And so there would be a title, historical review, stipulations, blessings and curses. There would be a record of the deposit of the book. And then, uh, and, and particularly, uh, uh, Time would be set for the public reading of the document so that the the covenant would be remembered. And there was also uh, witnesses that would be established. Just like in a marriage ceremony, uh, after you you give the vows, uh, there are witnesses that witness the entire thing. All of these things uh, in this order describe the book of Deuteronomy. It begins with this introduction, which we just read. It goes through a historical review, all the things God's done for his people, the history of their relationship, and it goes through the, the expectations for, for the, the party uh, of Israel, how they are to be the people of God. It gives blessings and curses, uh, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. There, is, there are the witnesses, or the, 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 the deposit, the setting aside time for the, the reading of this book. This entire book is one big covenant document defining the way in which the people of God can be uh, God's people. With God as their God, they as his people, and God dwelling in their midst. That's the entire point of the book of Deuteronomy. And so even, even as I'm, the, the main point of this, this whole thing is just to convince you that this is very important. Even the, the structure shows the great importance of Deuteronomy. It defines the, the relationship between God and his people. Now, as I mentioned uh, earlier as well, that the rest of the Bible has the same view of Deuteronomy that it is absolutely foundational and fundamental to the entire Bible. If something is not in accordance with the books of Moses, then it is wrong. Moses is the great plumb line for anything in the Old Testament. And it is the great, um, the great lens, as I mentioned before, the great lens through which all of Old Testament history, even going into New Testament history, is defined. It's everything is seen through the lens of, of Deuteronomy, I'd mentioned to you that, that many scholars today have seen uh, this link. They, they even call the books of Joshua through 2 Kings the Deuteronomistic history. The, the Deuteronom, uh, Deuteron, Deuteronomistic history. It's a difficult word to say. Um, it, the, because they recognize that Joshua through 2 Kings is really just a development of the things which Moses wrote in Deuteronomy. Everything is simply a development of Deuteronomy. It's based upon uh, the things which the people of God heard from Moses. I had mentioned to you that Calvin on the prophet says that even the prophets, we've got um, you know, the, the historical books based on Deuteronomy. Calvin says uh, all the prophets speak nothing except what can be found uh, in the books of Moses. And even Jesus, think of Jesus when he's being tempted in the wilderness. You know, a lot of times it's said, you know, look at Jesus. He's able to quote even from Deuteronomy when he faces the temptations of Satan in the wilderness. Brothers and sisters, it's not because... Deuteronomy is so obscure that Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy three times when he was tempted in the wilderness to, to rebut the, the, the temptations of Satan. It's because Deuteronomy is absolutely foundational. Mo, the, the devil was trying to, to get Christ to betray God. And Jesus responds with three passages from the very place where that relationship with God is defined. 
it's, it's not because it was obscure. It's because it was foundational. It's because this was the most natural place to go. If you're going to go anywhere, you're going to go to Deuteronomy to, to show that you are to worship the one true God. This is what he requires of you if you're going to be a part of his people. It is absolutely foundational for the rest of of the Bible. And even if we look at some specifics, I wanted to just give a brief overview of some places in the book of Deuteronomy that show the great importance for Deuteronomy, not just for the book itself, but even for the entire Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, the entire book, uh, entire chapter 12 is uh, focused uh, solely upon the place in which God will choose to set his name. When the people of God go into the promised land, God will choose to set his name in a particular place. This becomes a great theme from chapter 12 on. Uh, when you go to the place that God's chosen to set his name, uh, there's this or that rule or regulation. Uh, it becomes a, a great theme throughout all the book of Deuteronomy. All of the Old Testament is really moving towards that time when God would choose to set his name in a particular place. This is why uh, the, the, the city of Jerusalem is so important because it's the it's the, the fulfillment of this when God actually chooses to set his name in a particular place, when he sets his name in the temple. And this is ultimately fulfilled then in the Lord Jesus Christ, when God sets his name, so to speak, in the Lord Jesus Christ in a climactic way. So that really Jesus, in, uh, in being the manifestation uh, of God himself, being God himself, is the great fulfillment of everything that we were looking for in the book of Deuteronomy. So all of redemptive history is following this path of God choosing to set his name in a place and that being the way that God's people can relate to God. You can relate to God ultimately in the place where God chooses to set his name. You're always looking for, uh, the, the, for that particular place as it's found and taught in Deuteronomy. We have also Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30. The part where in Deuteronomy 28, particularly where we get to the blessings and the curses, there is uh, after that a prediction of exile. And then in the beginning of chapter 30, there is the prediction of the return from exile. This, this, this uh, movement from the blessings and cursings, uh, the exile, the return from exile, is really the framework that the rest of the scriptures use to describe all of the story of redemption. All of it is you disobeyed, you're going into exile. And then when you're in exile, God's going to be gracious to you. He's going to bring you back. And that bringing back from exile culminates with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the framework that all of the prophets use when they speak of the coming salvation. So the great passage uh, of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 is this exact same thing. Jeremiah has just prophesied the, the exile which is about to come in his own days. And he says, there is coming a day when God will make a new covenant with the people, when he'll bring you back. It won't be like the old covenant. It'll be a new one. Same thing with the great passage about the giving of the Spirit in Ezekiel chapter 36. It is, uh, when I bring you back from all the lands to which I've scattered you, then I will pour out my Spirit upon you. I'll give you a new heart. Speaking of the days when the Lord Jesus Christ would pour out the Spirit upon all his people. This Deuteronomy becomes the framework for uh, all of the prophets when they speak of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another important part of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 18, the great prophecy about the coming of a prophet like Moses. And then the statement at the very end of the book that, that there's never been a prophet like Moses. There's coming a day when there'll be a prophet like Moses. Deuteronomy 18 and Deuteronomy 34, there's never been a prophet like Moses. We are still awaiting that particular prophet. The prophet like Moses being the Lord Jesus Christ when uh, when Peter in Acts chapter 3 uh, 
is is uh, preaching, he quotes that particular verse, Deuteronomy 18, and says, this is it. This is, this is the one, the prophet like Moses that everyone has been waiting for. All of these things, and even more we could say, but all of these things in particular are established through Deuteronomy. They are developments of Deuteronomy. The entire Bible is built upon the things that are found in this particular book. It is incredibly important for the Christian. You cannot afford not to know the book of Deuteronomy. This has been uh, one of the great attacks of the devil uh, upon the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has, in very many ways, lulled the church to sleep by con- convincing us that the, the, the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus and others are not important. We don't concentrate on them uh, as much. And then at the same time, there are attacks from uh, biblical critics will tell us that they were not written by Moses. And we have, as well, not understanding the book of Deuteronomy will hinder your, your understanding, your ability to understand the rest of the Bible. It is absolutely foundational. It is absolutely foundational. It is very important. Uh, I taught, um, taught through parts of the book of Deuteronomy. I just kind of hit, hit some of the highlights with a Sunday school class while I was in Greenville. And I had asked them at one point uh, afterwards um, where they would go to defend the idea of the regular principle. I didn't use that particular language, but uh, you know, the idea that, that in worship we can only do the things which God has commanded. Is there any place that teaches that uh, in the Bible? You know, it's uh, one of the things that is dear to uh, reform people's hearts in terms of why we worship the way we do. And uh, they said, they said uh, I don't know, but it's probably somewhere in Deuteronomy. And that's right. The best place to go to for that is Deuteronomy chapter 12 at the end. It's the clearest expression of the regulative principle in the entire Bible. Uh, and so this is uh, an incredibly important book. And really the only goal for this evening is simply to convince you of that fact, that this book is incredibly important. May God grant you the grace in learning more about this book to know more about all that he said to us as his people. And may he use it to grow us in grace, and that we would be able to stand firm against the attacks of the devil, even as the Lord Jesus Christ did in his day. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are for all the words that have been given to us in the scriptures. How thankful we are in particular for this book that we are about to embark on a study of through the preaching of your word. How we do plead with you that you would open up our eyes to see the importance of of this book, that we would grow to love uh, all the parts of of your word, uh, even the ones that we find more difficult, that we would be able to know uh, the full counsel uh, of, of everything that you have given to us, and that in so doing we, we, we would be sanctified, we would be strengthened, and that we would be able to live godly lives before you. Lord, all these things we do ask in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at newcovopcssf.com. That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F dot com. If you'd like to worship with us on Sunday, our service times are 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m.